0: We're in a sermon series called Christmas Survival Kit. Uh, If you're new to Rockbrook, what we do with our sermons is we pick a scripture passage or a theme, and then we preach on that uh, over a series of weeks. And the goal for this Christmas season has been to put together a series that deals with the darker reality uh, that the holiday season has for many of us. Uh, For some of us, it's all we can do to survive these days. And so in this series, we've looked at uh, how to live with life's losses. I looked at the issue of grief. What do you do when you've lost a loved one? What do you do when you've lost your job, lost your house, lost your marriage, lost your family? How do you deal with the losses in life? The issue of grief. And then last week we looked at how to avoid the gift trap, how to avoid the materialism, the debt, the, the focus on things and giving and getting that can uh, overwhelm us in this season. It's the issue of Greed. This week, we're going to look at dealing with December's dark days. How do we deal with the depression, the gloom that can set in on us in this time of the season? So grief, greed, gloom. Do you know our generation has the highest percentage of people who deal with depression? Our generation has the highest percentage of people who live with a low-grade, constant depression. You know, that's amazing when you consider that we have an era in our history books called the Great Depression. We are more depressed than the generation that lived through the Great Depression. Uh, We're more depressed than the people who lived through the Dark Ages. Now, I'm not talking about a deep clinical depression. That's a different issue, a very important issue. But uh, I'm talking about people who live constantly dissatisfied and gloomy lives. Uh, They can't even put their finger on it. There's nothing that's really wrong, but there's nothing that's really right either. And we're becoming a generation of people who has everything at their disposal to keep them satisfied, yet we live with constant dissatisfaction. Uh, We see this especially in the Christmas season. You know, in a season that's supposed to be full of hope, full of light, full of optimism, full of joy, full of purpose. And instead we are consumed by darkness, by pessimism, by mistrust. There's little satisfaction. And we're merely existing. King David in the Old Testament asked himself this question in Psalm 42 5. He says, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Maybe you're here today and you're asking that question. You know, why am I so uneasy? Why am I so worried? Why am I so upset? Why am I so depressed? What's causing this in my life? In this series, each week in the worship folder, we're including a little handout to give you additional information beyond uh, what we're teaching in the sermon. And so you've got a handout this week that talks about preventing holiday stress and depression. But I've asked Ryland to come and and to share with us from the Bible uh, some insights on uh, how to deal with December's dark days. Ryland?
1: Well, we're going to talk about a depression in the life of a man of God named Elijah. And if you brought a Bible or have a Bible on your mobile device, I invite you now to open it up to 1 Kings chapter 19 in the Old Testament. If not, that's okay. All the verses are in your worship folder and they'll be on the screen as well. I'm really thankful for this opportunity to speak on this topic. And uh, I'm excited to preach on Elijah. Elijah lived an amazing life. And maybe we'll, one day we'll do a whole series on the life of Elijah. Uh, because today we're just going to look at one instance in his life. Uh, let me quickly do some setup in history about Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. While a guy named Ahab was king. And Ahab was the 19th consecutive evil king. And scripture says that he had done more evil than all of those before him. Now, Ahab was wicked, but he had an even wickeder wife because behind every wicked man, I don't think I'll finish that, never mind. Leave that alone. Now, Ahab uh, and Jezebel, Jezebel was his wife, and as one preacher put it, that uh, Jezebel was really running the show, and the last decision Ahab ever made was, I do, and then that was it from there. Now, if you guys don't laugh at my jokes, I'm going to get depressed here, and then we're really in a world of hurt. Ahab and Jezebel had turned uh, the hearts of the people away from God to these false prophets. So God raises up out of nowhere this prophet Elijah. And prophet, probably the simplest way to put it is, a prophet is someone who proclaims the will of God. Elijah means, his name Elijah means, my God Is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. Now that's very bold. It gets you along in a conversation pretty quickly. Hello, my name is, my God is Yahweh. So your God might be the sun God or the sex God or the nature God or the agriculture God. My God is Yahweh. So Elijah comes along and he stands down this wicked king and says, it's not going to rain until I ask God to make it rain. He proclaims the forecast, not like a weatherman, but his words are actually turning on and off the rain, turning on and off the water supply. So Elijah pronounces this huge drought, and sure enough, it doesn't rain at all. So God takes him to this place called the Kareth Ravine, where he's Humbled. Elijah is humbled in this season of, of hiding while God miraculously provides for him. While he's trying to hide from the king, God sends ravens that deliver bread and meat from heaven to Elijah. And then he's fed by a brook. During the middle, in the middle of a drought, when there's no rain, God brings along this brook that nourishes him. And Elijah learns to depend on God and God alone. And then one day, Scripture says that the brook dried up. And God led him out of the Kareth ravine into this place called Zarephath, where he met a widow. And this widow had just a little bit of oil, just a little bit of flour, uh, but it wasn't enough. And she thought she was going to die. And God miraculously multiplied it so that it was enough. Then one day, the widow's son died. And for the first time ever in history, recorded in history, recorded in Scripture, Elijah takes this dead boy up into the upper room and prays. And God raises this boy from the dead. And then, after the season of hiding, where there's been no rain, God calls Elijah back out to confront Ahab. And uh, Elijah calls Ahab out for a showdown. He says, get the 450 false prophets of Baal and get the 400 false prophets of Asherah, bring them up to Mount Carmel, and we're going to see who the real God is. Is it your God or is it my God, Yahweh? So Elijah has them build this altar and put a bull on it. And all morning long, the false prophets pray to their false God to bring down fire onto this altar. And they keep praying and praying and praying and nothing happens. Then it gets very barbaric. Uh, They start dancing around this altar and they start cutting themselves and they're covered in blood, calling down on their false god to bring down fire. Elijah, he he starts mocking them. He says, shout louder. Maybe your god's using the restroom. Maybe he's on a break. Maybe he went on a trip. Come on, you'll have to shout louder to get his attention. So they shout louder. Nothing happens. Then Elijah says, come over here. And they watch Elijah build his altar. And he cuts up a bowl and puts it over the altar. And he tells the false prophets, soak it in water. So they pour water over the altar, which is something you wouldn't want to do during a drought. They pour it, soak it in water. Elijah says, do it again. So they soak it in water again. He says, do it a third time. They soak the altar in water a third time. And they have this trench around the altar that's filled with water. And then Elijah calls down fire from his God. And immediately, instantly, fire comes roaring down from heaven, consumes the fire, burns up the the altar, burns up the bull, burns up the altar, burns up all the dust and licks up all the water. And we see who the real God is. And then Elijah goes up the mountain and calls for the rain. And God sent rain. And now we get to 1 Kings 19, verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed the prophet, all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me. If by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them, Elijah was afraid, and say this with me, fled for his life. Wait a minute here. After all that God had done in Elijah's life, This is very confusing. I mean, after all we've seen God do, one woman says, I'm going to kill you, and he wigs out, freaks out, and runs for his life? After all the miraculous provision, the supernatural protection, Elijah is afraid and runs for his life? I want to talk to you about four easy ways to get depressed. Verse 3, we see that Elijah went to Beersheba in a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Interesting that he just had this huge victory, and now he's praying that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree how do you get depressed in four easy steps? Well, you do what Elijah did. Number one, you wear yourself out. If you will notice, over the past few years, Elijah had been on this massive spiritual battle, trusting God, praying, trusting God, seeking, trusting God, battle, more faith, more battle, more faith, more battle, and then he runs for his life. And geographically, he couldn't have run uh, any farther than he did. He runs to the southern tip, and then he leaves his buddy, he leaves his servant behind, and he runs a whole nother day's journey out into the wilderness, out into the desert. He went as far as he could, and like many of us, he be- has become totally exhausted. You wonder, why am I so depressed? Well, you've worn yourself thin. I mean, some of you moms, you're working a full-time job, taking care of the house, putting dinner on the table, carting kids all over the world, involved in every opportunity that presents itself, and you're wondering, why am I so down? Some of you are finishing up a killer semester, you're working a full-time job, you're playing a sport, and you're wondering, why am I so depressed? For others of you, it's a mental exhaustion or you think, man, I'm the only one that can be there for them. I've got to be the provider. I've got to make sure they're covered. I've got to be strong for everybody. You're totally exhausted. And you've worn yourself out. The next step to depress yourself is to, to, number two, shut people out. That's exactly what Elijah did. He abandoned his closest friend, his servant. He said, you stay here. I'm going on. And that's what a lot of us do when we're overwhelmed. I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to tell you what's going on in my life because even if I did, you wouldn't understand. I don't know how many small group meetings I've sat through where someone is struggling and they're depressed, but they won't let the group in. And I sit, I sit there thinking, man, you would be amazed at the healing that is headed your way. You would be amazed at the support here for you if you would just open up, if you would keep stop putting people at arm's length and let them in. You want to get depressed? Uh, you wear yourself out. You keep people at arm's length and number 3 you focus on the negative. Which is exactly what our hero Elijah did. What did he say? He said, "I've had enough. I'm no better than my ancestors." And the reason that is funny is because nobody was asking if he was better than his family. But in his mind, his self pity had taken over. And what self pity does is it exaggerates. Write that down somewhere. Self pity exaggerates. Self pity exaggerates. We start to think and say things like, I'm always going to be stuck in this stage of life. I'm never going to reach my full potential. These circumstances will never change, this problem will never be resolved. You want to get depressed? It's right here in Scripture for you. You wear yourself out. You shut others out. You focus on the negative, And number four, you forget God. After all that we saw God do in the life of Elijah, supernatural protection, supernatural provision, we find Elijah saying, God, you're not going to come through for me, which is what we often do, isn't it? I, I can look back over the faithfulness of God in my life, I can see that he's been a comfort, that he's been my strength, that he has provided. He was there. He was everything I needed. But but in this moment, when I'm depressed, when I'm down, I forget God. And I forget his faithfulness in my life. So that's how we wound up depressed. I want to talk about the answer now. Many of you are here today because this is the word that you need to hear from God. God. God is speaking directly to you because whether you're just a little gloomy or clinically depressed or going through a traumatically depressing situation, God wants to speak to you. So let's continue on in this passage. And what we're going to find is God's uh, prescription for our depression. Elijah, he didn't have any hope. Okay? He was hiding out, wanting to die. And I want you to notice that God sends an angel to represent God and speak to Elijah. And I especially want you to notice what God does not have the angel do in this time. There's no sermon. He doesn't come with a rebuke, okay? There's no shame. He's not saying, oh, Elijah, if you just memorized a few more Bible verses, had a little bit more faith, quit being a baby, everything would be okay. No, there's nothing negative. The first thing he that the angel of the Lord says is this. Write this down. He says, eat and rest. God says to eat and rest. The very first part of the prescription for our depression, God says to eat and rest. Look at this with me in verse 5. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Perhaps the most spiritual thing some of you can do is rest. And I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing. I can't rest. I have too much to do. But God, the angel of the Lord, comes tells him to eat and rest. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more for the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now this is the same mountain most scholars believe where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. The angel of the Lord is basically saying, eat, rest, and go to church. Go where you will experience God. Number two, God replaces our lies with his truth. God replaces the lies we are believing with his truth. 1 Kings 19, verse 9. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now God is not asking Elijah what he's doing here because God doesn't know what Elijah's doing there. He's asking Elijah what he's doing there so that Elijah will verbalize what he's thinking and verbalize the lies that he's believing. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. That's true. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. True. Torn down your altars. That's true. And killed every one of your prophets. Also true. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. That's false. I'm the only one left. Not true. I've been doing all the work. I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one who gets it. I'm the only one that can get this done. It's false. Elijah owned more responsibility than was actually his. He had done what God asked him to do, but then he started to think that he was supposed to do everything. There's no one who cares like me, everybody's depending on me. I'm all alone. Nobody understands. If you read on in the story, God actually tells Elijah, you know, Elijah, there's actually 7,000 other Israelites who get it. There's 7,000 other Israelites who have not prayed to the false gods. There's 7,000 other Israelites that are still praying to me. I could only imagine what God would say to us, to our lies. Our lies that say, oh, my marriage can never be healed. My husband's never going to come to Christ. My kids are never going to come back to the Lord. My life's never going to be any better. I'm always going to be stuck in this dead-end job. I've got no real ministry. I can't make a difference. I'm never going to have an intimate relationship. I'm going to spend the rest of my life all alone. There aren't aren't any guys for me in the church, and not any girls in the church. guess I'm going to have to look somewhere else. Scripture says take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. God takes those lies and he replaces them with his truth. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, if you would speak, you might just speak a lie. It says, oh, I'm always going to be depressed. I'm always going to be this way. And God might say, that's actually not the whole truth. And He replaces those lies with his truth. So God's prescription for our depression. God tells us to rest. He tells us to uh, replace the lies we believe with his truth. And third, God speaks in a still, small voice. Now, you've got to remember who Elijah is used to dealing with here, uh, the God of, of fire. And he goes on this mountain, and he's expecting God uh, to speak in a hurricane, in, in an earthquake. That God's going to come down in fire, and he's going to speak it through the fire. But check out what happens. Verse 11, Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper it sounds like the song teresa just sang, doesn't it sometimes when we are lowest god is speaking the softest sometimes it's just a word it's not very loud but it's always sufficient it's always enough and here's what i take so much comfort in today i know that there are many of us hurting And I don't find any confidence at all in in you taking anything from my words. But I know that behind my words and through my words, God can and will speak to you. And if you listen closely enough, you may hear that still small voice that's saying, I am here. I would never leave you. You are not alone. I am enough. God's prescription for your depression is to rest, to replace the lies you're believing with His truth, to learn His voice, to listen to His voice. And then God gives us a divine assignment. Number four, God gives us something to do. God has given everyone in here something to do, a divine assignment. We see in verse 15, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meoli to replace you as my prophet. It's a mouthful, but in other words, he's basically saying, get back to doing what prophets do. You know, I believe that there's something for us to do. You feel down, you might feel hopeless or afraid, you're unsure, your confidence is shaken. But God is saying if you're still alive, you're not done. God is saying, "I don't waste my time. I didn't bring you this far for nothing." Get back to doing what prophets do. Get back to doing what prophets do. You may say, "Well, I'm not a prophet." Well, what are you? Are you a mom? Get back to doing what moms do. Are you a business person? Get back to doing what business people do. Are you a a grandparent? Get back to doing what grandparents do. Do you have the gift of serving? Serve someone. Do you have the gift of giving? Give something. Do you have the gift of being encouraging? Encourage someone. You know, a really great question to ask yourself uh, to get some good habits back in your life to pull you out of the darkness, to pull you out of the depression is, is ask yourself, what would a really great husband do today? What would a really great employee do today? What would a really great leader do in this situation? What would a really great friend do in this circumstance? And then do that thing. Now check this out. God gave... Elijah a gift. God gave Elijah someone who believed in him. A younger friend named Elisha. And Elijah recruits Elisha, and they start doing what prophets do together. And the younger one says, uh, Elisha says to Elijah, if there's anything I could have, I want twice what you have. I want a double, a double portion of your anointing. Elijah basically says, well, I'll tell you what, if you're here with me when I leave this earth, you can have it. And then we see in 2 Kings 2.11, as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Now think about this. What did Elijah fear most? Go back to the beginning of the story. Jezebel threatens his life, says, I'm going to make you a dead prophet by tomorrow. And Elijah fled for his life. His greatest fear of all, death, was something that he never experienced God sent a chariot of fire from the sky, swept him up, and took him onto glory, and he never experienced his greatest fear. And the reality is, for many of us, not all, but many of us, the number one thing that is consuming us and depressing us is something that we will never experience. Because God will lift you above it. Others of you... Eh, this isn't a message. I'm not trying to pre- some, preach a message that says oh, everything will be okay because in this world you will have trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So even if your greatest what if, even if your greatest fear does come to pass, Jesus will lift you above it. He will be there for you, and he will be more than enough. Let me pray for you. Well, God, I know that uh, many in here are feeling the weight of some type of depression. And I pray that just like you spoke and ministered to Elijah, that you would minister to us. Mm -hmm. And I ask for those who are overwhelmed with the burdens of this life, that you would give them the courage to be obedient and rest. I pray that We would not believe the lies. As we enter into this time of worship, I pray that you would expose the lies that we are believing and that you would replace them with your truth. In our time with you, I ask that you would speak in a a still, small voice. And God, whatever you say, we will do. As we keep praying today, I know that there are a lot of you that God brought here and you're about as low as you can get. And I would say to you, praise God, because the only place you can look is up. There are times that God lets us hit bottom so that we realize we cannot do life without him. Others of you, you're like Elijah on Mount Carmel. You've had the greatest victory ever. You've got all the things that you uh, thought you'd want to make you happy and you realize they have done nothing to cure your depression. The things of this world do not satisfy. Why are you here? Because God brought you here. Because God wants to reveal himself to you through his son, Jesus, and show you there is nothing in this world that brings life. There is nothing in this world that satisfies and there is nothing else in this world that will connect you with God except a relationship with His Son, Jesus. And it's time to look up. It's time to look up to Christ. It's time to look up to Jesus. It's through His name we pray. Amen.